Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to James, okay? James chapter 2 is where we'll be this evening. James chapter number 2. I want to say I appreciate you again making the effort to be out on Wednesday evenings. I understand that they can be quite tough, all right? Been working all day and working all week, of course, and working all day, and, and uh, you can just get tired. Anybody a little tired this evening? Yeah, me too, all right. My wife's hand was the first one up, but anyway, we get tired from time to time. And I want to say thank you for making the effort, though, being faithful and uh, gathering together. And I think it's a very important uh, thing for Christians to do is to gather together, even so much the more as you see the day approaching, all right? So I want to say thank you again for being here this evening. All right, James chapter number 2. And as we come back to the book of James, keep in mind that James is writing to Jewish believers and uh, these believers have been scattered abroad from their home, uh, largely due to the persecution that's been taking place from the religious crowd and the political crowd of, of the day, all right? So that's what's really going on in historical context of the book of James. So James is writing to people who are hurting, who are struggling, who are suffering, who are confused and absolutely need some help. And so James knows this, and so he writes to them to instruct them, to encourage them through this great difficult time that they all are facing with this general epistle, this general letter that he is the human penman of, all right? So keep all that in mind as you read and go throughout the book of James. It'll help you as you come to different parts uh, and different subjects in this book, all right? But let's look at James chapter 2. And we'll start in verse number 1, read down through verse number 9 this evening. All right, look at it with me. The Bible says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring or goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, Stand thou here, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and ever become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you, and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of a law as transgressors. Our Father, as we look to your word this evening, I pray again that you'd help us to have listening ears. You'd help our hearts to be open and ready to receive what you have for us from the Bible. Please speak to our hearts. Help us to focus in. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, as we read this text this, uh, this evening, we know as you read this, po- this portion and other portions of the book of James, we know that James, Pastor James, is not afraid to uh, pull any punches. All right. Uh, Pastor James is known to speak quite bluntly to his readers. He is known to speak plainly to the church. And as the saying goes, plain speech is easily understood. And he is definitely being plain 
here. You don't have to wonder what Pastor James is thinking when it comes to this particular sin that he is calling out and addressing. And the sin that he is pointing to and denouncing and talking about in these verses and verses to follow is this one. He's been implying when it comes to the sin of partiality. The sin of partiality. And if you're taking notes, that's the title of this evening's uh, message, all right? The sin of partiality. So let's look at it this evening. The first thing I'd like for us to notice about this from the text is this. Number one, James exposes the sin of partiality. Look at it, verse number one, all right? He says this. My brethren, therefore we know he's talking to believers, okay? My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ... The Lord of glory with respect of persons. James is exposing something that they are accused of doing. Now, I don't know anyone that likes to be exposed or likes to have their wrongdoings exposed. Anybody love that? Anybody? Let's see if anybody's, nobody's weird. Everybody's normal. Okay, good. All right. Uh, Nobody likes that. No one likes to be called out. No one likes to be told they're wrong. No one likes to uh, have others know their shortcomings. No, we want want people to think that we're okay. We desire for folks to think that we're not as bad as, well, we really are. Uh, We we would rather have folks think that we're, we're not that faulty, not that broken. But understand, people, we are all, as a side note, we are all faulty, okay, We are all broken. None of us have arrived yet. Yet still, no one likes their sin exposed. But here, James points out one of the shortcomings of these scattered believers at this moment, and it's this one, their partiality. Or as he says it three times in this text that we just read, their respect of persons. All right? Now, when he says respective persons here, he is not talking about what we would refer to as our modern day terminology, respect or respecting people, as in we give respect to others. Or as some folks would say, you need to respect your elders. Or some folks may say you should, to children, you need to respect your parents. Or as we would try to, as spouses, respect our spouse, right? He's not talking about that. He's not even talking about it in military terms where individuals would respect the chain of command. That's not the type of respect that James is getting at here. Because we know we should have that respect. We, we know we should respect our elders. We, children should respect their parents. We, we know we should respect others, right? We, we know that. We know that. So he's not saying don't respect people. He's not saying be disrespectful. Rather, when he's saying be not a respecter of persons, he is saying this. You don't need to have favoritism. You don't need to have partiality. You don't need to be biased with your faith in relation to others. That's what he's getting at here. Now, as one thinks on this, it's actually quite interesting that he's addressing this issue when you put everything in context, in historical context. As James says, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons. It's very interesting to me that he says that to these people at this time in history. Why? Because again, James is writing to hurting people who are being persecuted, who are suffering. He's writing to Jewish believers who have been scattered away 
from their very homes that they, they knew and lived and grew up in. And so basically James is writing to people who have been treated, listen, unfairly. He's writing to believers who have been treated with partiality by either political parties or religious circles or even as James points out in our text, other rich people. And yet these individuals, these believers at this moment, they're doing the exact same thing with treating people unfairly. Uh, treating people with partiality, they're showing favoritism. Uh, now understand, at this time, people in the first century, uh, they craved recognition and they craved honor. Uh, that was a big deal to them. And they would contend with each, with each other for honor. They would contend with each other for praise or the applause of people. They wanted to climb that social ladder to have that honor, to have that uh, applause, they would climb that social ladder, so to speak, in order to get that. And it didn't matter who they stepped on to get there. And Jesus would even expose this one day in one of his uh, parables that he spoke in Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. And Jesus said this, And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, When there art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place. And thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. And when he, he that bade thee cometh, he say, may say to thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. This is what he said. This is the point he's getting to. For whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Then said he also to them that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor the rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made to thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. I mean, they can't repay you for this. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. But anyway, at this moment in the first, first century, this was an issue. And since there's really nothing new under the sun, as the preacher would say in Ecclesiastes, guess what? Though that was a problem in the first century, it's a problem in the 21st century too. Do you know that? It really is. It really is. Even today we have folks who crave recognition. If you don't believe me, turn on your favorite social media app. And you'll see it, all right? I promise you. They crave recognition. They crave praise and applause. They crave those likes and hearts and all these other emojis, okay? That's what they want. That's their desire. So they find their identity. It's quite crazy. But yet people still crave this today, want to climb that social ladder. But this should not be. This mentality, this mindset should not be a thing among believers, Yes, we understand. We expect it in the world. We expect this even in our places of employment. We expect it in the political realm of things, in the government. We expect it in society. It is a societal norm. We know that. But among believers, among the church, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be that way. Yet at this moment, James is saying, my brethren... Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with 
respect of persons. So James is saying, listen, you guys are doing this. And he's trying to instruct them, write to them about this problem, about this sin. And the first way to instruct these dear believers is to show them where they are wrong. He's trying to bring to light the, the, the sin that's in their life so that they can deal with it and so that they can make it right, which we'll see in a minute towards the end of the, end of the message. But in the very beginning, he's got to do this. He's got to expose this sin of partiality first. Then he does this. Not only does James expose the sin, he does this. He gives an example of their partiality. Look at verse number 2 with me. For if there come under your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth a gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou here, sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are ye become judges of evil thoughts? Now these, these verses here, verses 2 through 4, It's a continuous sentence. It's a one long thought. And in this thought and in this sentence, he is letting them know that he knows exactly what they've done. And he gives them their own example. Now, we don't know exactly how James knows about this. Maybe uh, he has seen it with his own eyes. We don't know. Maybe uh, word got back to him from one of the church members or maybe a visitor told him or maybe the Lord brought it to his attention and let him know. But either way, news got back to James and he is letting this example be known that he knew about it. And this example, by the way, was an ugly one. It was not a good example for the church. You see, somewhere along the lines, these Jewish believers, they were assembling. They were meeting. I don't know if it was in uh, uh, fear or or what, but it seemed to have many people coming to their assembly. And as they were coming to where they assembled, they began to do this. They began to compare person against person, person after person, as they would come into their meetings. You see, as an individual would come into our assembly, as he says in verse number two, as they would come into, let's say, the lobby, all right, of their church building, they would take notice that, well, this individual, the first one that came in, he has some nice jewelry on. He's got a big old gold ring. Look at that bling on that dude. He's got to be rich. I mean, did you see the chariot that he rode in on? That was awesome, you know. It had two horses, not one. And that dude has money, you know. They're taking notice of that guy. Then the next person comes in and like, you know, that dude is so poor and he got a wedding band on. He's got no bling and he walked to church today. I don't know if we'll pay much attention to him. But the other guy, take care of, put him in a good spot. But this other guy, eh, I don't know. Another person walks in like, good night. Look at the clothes that they're wearing. I mean, that person's wearing Gucci. That woman has a Louis Vuitton bag. Is that Versace? I mean, if that is, surely those guys got money. Give them a good seat. Give them the red carpet treatment, VIP all day long. Take care of those people. And then a poor person walks in. Barely got some clothes on or ragged holes in them. They're Jerusalem cruisers of duct tape together. They probably didn't have duct tape, but you know what I mean. They're just duct tape together. This is not the same kind of people. This is different. Oh, man, I'm glad they're here, I guess. Put them in the back. You know. 
but they're treating them with partiality. Now, I doubt they had Gucci, okay? They didn't have Versace and all that stuff. They didn't have any of that. They're just trying to show a point that these individuals were comparing or judging based solely upon the external stuff of that person. Meaning what they look like, if they were clean or if they were dirty, or what kind of clothes they wore, if they were nice, put together, holes in them, if they had jewelry or not, entourage or not, they were taking notice of their external stuff and putting a value on that. I've said it many, many, many times. And I'll continue saying When it comes to individuals, I don't care about their money. I just care about them. I care about the person. I want the person. I want the person. I want the family. So I can help them. Not after what they got. I just want the individual. I just want to help the people. I've said it many times. But at this moment, it would seem these individuals cared more about what the people could give and do than the actual individuals, individuals themselves. But so they were comparing based on the externals of the individual. And in doing so, they were catering to the people that had money. And they were crude to the people who were poor. But why would they do that? Why do even people do it today? They do that because of this. <clears throat> because the rich, well, they're an asset. And the poor is a liability. You see, the rich, they can give back. But the poor, they only take. The rich, they could do something for them. And the poor, well, we've always got to do something for them, you see. Therefore, they treated them differently. Treated them differently. And just on a side note, though they treated the rich people with favoritism, James wanted to remind them in verses 5 through 7 that they didn't get the same treatment from those same rich people. Look at it with me, all right? It's kind of crazy, but look at it with me. Verse number 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren. By the way, as he is being quite pointed here, and he is taking his right fist and right in the nose with him a little bit, okay? Figuratively, not literally. Uh, but letting them have it. Uh, he is still doing so in love. He's letting them know, my beloved brethren, look, I love you guys. That's why I'm talking to you about this. All right. But he says this, Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But you despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by, which, uh, by the which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, do, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. They're convinced of the law as transgressors. He is saying here, in verses, especially verse 6 and 7, he's saying, listen, guys, it was the rich man that you're catering to, the rich men that, that was the cause of being scattered in the first place. It's because of these individuals who really pull the strings in the political world and even in the, in the, uh, the, the uh, spiritual social, uh, social world at that time as well, religious rather, I should say, the religious world, these rich men were pulling those strings and they're really causing the persecution that's going on. They're behind the capture and imprisonment and death of the other believers that you have mourned and been to the funerals of. And these rich men are even brash enough to blaspheme the very name of your Savior. And yet you're catering to them. It's crazy. But that's what was happening. It doesn't quite add up, but that's what was happening. 
But this type of partiality, this type of favoritism ought not to be, listen, it ought not to be in the heart of the child of God or in the heart of the church. Why? Because it's not found in the heart of Christ. Amen. Jesus was not impressed with the riches of this world. I mean, when you walk on gold, your money don't matter to nothing, all right? When the pavement that you walk on is made of pure gold, I don't care about your money. When your gate is of one pearl, come on, I don't care about your brick and mortar. He don't care about this world's good as far as the money goes. He wasn't impressed about it. And nor did he show favoritism to those who were rich for merely being rich. Remember the poor widow and her might? What did Jesus say about that? In Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto his disciples and said to them, he said, Boys, come here, I want to show you something. Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all she had, even all her living. Now, we don't operate necessarily on mites and farthings. Does anybody know what a mite is? You say, yes, that thing was on my dog. No, that's something different. All right, no, that's not a mite, all right? Anybody know what a farthing is? He said, yeah, that's, no, never mind. That's not what that is, all right? Mites and farthings, we don't deal with that today. But as I was doing a little research on what a mite and a farthing is, it would be at this, uh, as far as equating our, our um, e- economy today, <clears throat> it would be basically anywhere from one-tenth to one-fourth of a penny. <laughs> not even a penny. Not even one cent. Not even half of a cent. At best, it was a quarter of a cent. You can't buy nothing for a penny. People will give you stuff for free. They'd rather sell it to you for a penny. <laughs> They'd almost be insulted by you giving them a penny for something. You can't buy nothing with that. Yet Jesus said that this woman gave more than all these rich Pharisees combined. Now many today would see the same thing going on that these disciples had, had seen as far as these people giving money and that kind of thing and they would say, good night, look how much these Pharisees are giving. I mean, that's just, that's just amazing. But they would only make that statement based upon the external that they have seen. But Jesus didn't care about the external. It was because he sees the internal. You see, he sees the heart. And that's why Jesus said about this widow that she had been given more than all of the Pharisees. Why? Because he knew the heart behind the gift. That's why. So, what, folks, what James is getting at here is that these individuals, these believers at this moment, were being more biased with their comparison of the external because they were being, being biased with their treatment of these individuals. In verses 2 and 4, he's just giving an example of that. So since we're not to base our comparisons on the external, then what principles should we follow? What's the right thing for us to do? They've been exposed. He has showed them their example. And lastly, he wants to tell them this. He wants to explain the right principle to follow. All right? Look at verse number, uh, let's start in verse number 8. Look at verse number 8. All right? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, You commit sin 
and are convinced of the law as transgressors. This is actually a very interesting phrase. In verse number 8 that James says, there's a two-word phrase there, royal law. It's very interesting. And I'll tell you why it's very interesting, because this is the only place in the entire Bible you'll find this exact phrase. And so some people, uh, some scholars give James the one who coined this phrase, the royal law. Now we need to understand, though, that James, he knew the whole law, all right? He knew the law of Moses, and that meant he probably was very versed, if not had memorized the entire Pentateuch. What is the Pentateuch? First five books of the Bible. He had probably had all that memorized, or at least he was very, very versed in all of it. But why? Why would James be very versed in the law? Because James was a, starts with a J, ends with an U. Jew, that's right. He's a Jewish individual, all right? He's a Jewish individual, Jewish man. And because of a Jewish man, no doubt he grew up memorizing and observing the law of Moses every day. But later on, James came to Jesus as his Savior. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he picked out one part of the law that would help these believers at this moment in this, in, with this sin in this day, in the first century, and he coined it this way, the royal law. And the part of the law that he quoted from would have been from Leviticus 19, verse 18, when he says, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. But anyway, James took this and coined it the royal law, meaning this is the one at the top. This will be the chief one. I want you to, to try to memorize and try to apply to your heart and life as you may be dealing with the sin of partiality. And he is saying this, fulfill the royal law. Again, when he would say fulfill the royal law, it would suggest that these scattered believers at this moment, they were neglecting their neighbor. And again, the neighbors in context he'd be referring to would be the neighbors who would be poor, all right? That's who he'd be referring to mainly because the situations that these believers themselves were even facing, they were probably more closely aligned with the poor than the rich. Again, they're scattered abroad, lost everything, right? They're more aligned closely, at least in uh, practicality, practical reasons with the poor people than, than the rich. Yet, when the rich people would show up, show up at their assembly, show up for church, they again would get the red carpet treatment. They would be the VIPs of the day and the poor, as the Bible says in verse number six, would be despised. That word despised means to insult or to dishonor. That's what they would do. And by insulting, by dishonoring them, by despising them, here's what they were guilty of. Look at verse number 9. But if you have respect of persons, if you're going to operate in partiality and favoritism, if you're going to operate in that way, if you have respect of persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So if they were going to continue in their partiality and respect of persons, they're guilty of what, church? Sin and transgressors. That's what they were guilty of. But how are they going to combat against it? Because we're all made of the same dirt. We all have this potential in us to show favoritism, to show partiality. We all do. All of us. Again, remember, we're all broken. We all need Jesus. Amen. How are we going to combat against that? Again, he says the royal law. Look at verse number 8. 
If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. Now you won't fall in this trap if you do this. So when it comes to favoritism, it shouldn't be found in the heart of the child of God or in the heart of church because it's not found in the heart of Christ. Rather, we should do this. We should treat each believer as an equal believer because that's how we would want to be treated by other believers. Make sense? Good. Because that's what James is getting across. Again, I get it sometimes. In our flesh, we want to operate this way. We want to help this person because, well, I think they can help me. And that's not how it works. Jesus even taught that you give expecting nothing in return. Because even Jesus did that. Dying for the whole world, yet knowing that the whole world would not come to him nor receive his free gift. He knew that. His God knows everything. Yet he still gave it all for the whole world. I'm thankful we serve a God who is no respecter of persons. I'm thankful for that. Because if you're like me, (laughs) you don't deserve the mercy and grace of God. It's just freely given to whosoever. I'm thankful for that great truth and great promise. May God help us be people who, again, are no respecter of personal, show partiality and favoritism to one group or another, but truly uh, be exemplary Christians to try to exemplify Christ 